So now we're going to dive into God's Word. We're in week three of Gospel Conversations. And we had a wonderful service last Sunday having Pastor Renee here. And uh, we had to celebrate 40 years as a church. What an amazing testimony to God's faithfulness, to God's grace on our church. And so we want to continue to move forward for 40 more years, however long God has us here, of his grace and his faithfulness. And now we're going to pick back up where we left off. And so who remembers the first message I preached three weeks ago? It was called Gospel Conversations, but I talked about it was Grace Upon Grace. Grace Upon Grace was the title, and, and what I talked about was the reality of the incarnation, that this conversation, you know, when you have a conversation with somebody, it's supposed to be a two-way street. You're talking, they're talking. But when this Gospel Conversation started, only God was doing the talking, and He God became man, Emmanuel, God with us. He, he started the conversation. Why? Because we were in a desperate place in our life as humanity. That we could not save ourselves from our sins. That we needed divine intervention. And so because God so loved the world, he gave his son and initiated this gospel conversation with humanity. And the week after that, we went to John chapter 3 and we, we studied the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and Nicodemus believed that because of his religious observance of the law, that he was right before the Lord. And so what did Jesus say to Nicodemus? He said, you must be born again. He said, Nicodemus, it's not about what you do and how well you do it. It's not about your religious observance of the law, though the law of God is good. It's not about any of that that earns you favor with God and earns you salvation. He looked at Nicodemus and he said, Nicodemus, you must be made brand new. Now that is the core of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You must be born again, born from above. And that's the first two weeks that we looked at. And then now we're going to turn our, our, our eyes to John chapter 4. And, and if you've been in and around church for any length of time, you know this story. This is the story about the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And this is a profound story, and there are so many details within this account of this conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman that I could have had probably 15 separate points to bring out. There's so many powerful things, but for the sake of of time and your sanity, I reduced it to four. Four points that I felt like I I wanted to emphasize here. And and, and again, the point of all of this is that we want to see clearer the gospel. We want to look at the beauty of who Christ is. And we want to look at the beauty of the gospel and the core of why we are even here. And and so this is what we're going to do in this story. So we have a long section that we're going to read. I'm going to read the whole account. And then we're going to dive into unpacking four different things that we want to see about this gospel conversation. So let's, let's get started and read the, the whole story here. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had passed through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. She said, Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go. Call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he's going to tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or or, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So I titled this message this morning, Come See a Man. Come See a Man. And here's what we're going to unpack out of this long account here. There's so many other details that I want to bring out, but we're going to whittle it down to four things that I want us to understand about the gospel. The first one is this, is that the gospel destroys cultural barriers. Secondly, the gospel is living water for the thirsty. Third, the gospel is a call to repentance. And fourthly, we'll look at the gospel produces an evangelistic call. So firstly, the gospel destroys cultural barriers. You remember back in what we just read right there? Let's look back at at it again. John 4, it says he left Judea. He entered again from Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass, Jesus had to go from Judea to Galilee. But he had to pass through Samaria to a town called Sychar. And it says that a, a woman from Samaria was there drawing water, and Jesus said to give me a drink. Give me a drink. And do you remember right there in verse 9, it said in parentheses, for the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. The woman was shocked. How is it that you, a man, a Jewish man, are asking of me, a Samaritan woman, for water? And the scripture says, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So why is that? Why was she shocked that a Jewish man was asking her for water? 
Because within that culture, within that time, whenever Jews would travel from Judea to Galilee, when, 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 when they would travel, they would not go through Samaria. And this is the reason why. I'm going to give you the history. When the nation of Israel became divided after Solomon's rule, King Omri named the capital of the north, northern kingdom of Israel, called he named it Samaria. So Assyria would eventually take captive of the majority of the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. So the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so the king of Assyria took control of the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. And this led to intermarriage between Jews and pagans. And so what began to happen was there began to be, according to the Jews, a, a half-breed of Jews that were born. And so they, the, the, the purebred Jews looked at the, what they considered half-breeds and they considered them unclean. And so their hatred for them was so great that whenever they had to travel through Samaria which would have been the direct route to go from Judea to, to, to Galilee, they would go around to the outer edges. They would go, they would go down the sea route instead of going through. Now, now from, from Judea to, to Galilee through Samaria was a mountainous region, but it, it was the more direct route. And they would avoid going that way. They wouldn't even pass through that town because of their hatred for the Samaritans. Because they believed that they were greater than the Samaritans because they were purebred. Because they were pure Jews. And that's what it means they had, they, that they had no dealings. What it literally means when it says that they had no dealings with the Samaritans, it literally means that they wouldn't even use the same utensils as a Samaritan. So this, is, this gives even greater meaning to what this uh, Samaritan woman is asking Jesus. How are you, a, a, a Jewish man, a Jew, asking me for a drink? You're going you're gonna to take the cup that I use, the container that I use, and you're going to drink from it? You have no dealings. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There was a racism. There was a hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. And here's what I want to tell you. That the gospel, this is the first thing we need to, to look at here this morning. This is what Jesus is doing right here. He is destroying cultural barriers. By going through Samaria in the first place. And, and, and earlier in the text, that we, when, when we read the whole story, it said that Jesus had to go through Samaria. This would have been one of my other 15 points that I would have had. He had to go through Samaria. God is a providential God. There is nothing that he does by accident. When he says, the text says he had to go through Samaria, it's because he had a divine appointment with a Samaritan woman that was thirsty for living water. It wasn't just accident. It wasn't by happenstance he decided to go the direct route to Galilee. He went because he was on mission. Jesus lived on mission. And so he goes, but what did he do by doing that? He broke down cultural barriers. He came and he sat down at the well. Here's one of my other, my 15 points that I was going to bring out. But, but, but you know what's powerful? In that text, it said that he was wearied from the journey. Think about that. Isn't that a picture of the humanity of Christ? He's fully God. He's fully man. But he was wearied in his flesh. It shows that he is, he was like us. He came to be like us and he was wearied like we are wearied. Such a beautiful picture of the incarnation of Christ. Fully God. Truly God and truly man. But he destroyed cultural barriers by beginning to have this conversation with this unclean woman. So here's what I want to say. The Jewish believers had to learn this lesson. And we must be reminded of this truth continually. The gospel 
The good news is for everyone. The good news is for everyone. This is the beginning of Jesus teaching that lesson to his first disciples. And we must remember it as 21st century disciples that the gospel is a global message. The gospel is good news for people of all nationalities and all skin colors. Racism is not a political issue. Racism is not a political issue. Racism is a biblical issue. And Jesus brought it in the forefront in John chapter 4 by breaking those cultural barriers, by showing the early disciples and by showing us through scripture that people that don't look like us, don't act like us, don't talk like us are deserving of the gospel as well. Racism is not a political issue. Racism is is a biblical issue. When we elevate ourselves above someone else because of their heritage, their living condition, their skin color, we fail in seeing them as God sees them. Amen? Amen? The good news about Jesus is for those who don't look like us, who don't dress like us, who don't live where we live, drive what we drive, talk like we talk. It's for those who don't make as much money as we make. It's for those who don't work as hard as we work. Sometimes we think the gospel's not for the, for the, for, for, for the lazy, for those who are the down and outers, and, and it's their fault that they are where they are. The gospel is for them. It's for the poor. It's for the outcasts. It's also for the rich and powerful who think that they don't need God. The gospel breaks down cultural barriers. And the early church had to understand this. So Jesus began to teach it to them here in John chapter 4. But as we get into the birth of the church in Acts chapter 10, Jesus had, the, the Lord of the church had to show the early church, had to show Peter that the gospel was for the Gentile, for all the non-Jews. And so Jesus Uh, gives a vision to Peter and says, I want you to go to a Gentile's house, to Cornelius' house, and I want you to preach the gospel to him and to his family because they are seeking after truth. They are seeking after God. And Peter said, "I, I, there's no way that I can go. And so God gives Peter a vision and he has a vision of unclean animals and clean animals. And so he has this vision and this is what it culminates in in Acts 10, 34 through 35. So Peter opened his mouth. He ends up in in Cornelius' house, he obeys God and, and goes into the house of a Gentile. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Amen? Amen. Amen. The gospel destroys cultural barriers. Another barrier was this issue of a woman was the fact that women were not valued during that time in, in that culture. Their opinion, their, 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 their status in life was not the same as men. And so Jesus destroys that culture barrier. Whenever the woman, when the woman said, how are you, how are you talking to a woman? And then whenever the disciples come back later, we'll read that later, they, 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 they looked at Jesus sitting and says, how is it that you're speaking to a woman? And so there was this disconnect. But what does the gospel do? The gospel destroys cultural barriers. You know, the Pharisees, uh, they, they were the super religious as we've talked about lately. And uh, there's a, a name that the Pharisees would have. They, they, that they were called at times the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. 
And, and the reason they were called, called the bruised and the bleeding Pharisees is that sometimes when they would walk down the street and they would see a woman because of their, 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 their low view of women, that they would close their eyes to not look at a woman. And because they would walk with their eyes closed, they would bump into things. And so they were called, you can look, you can look it up, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. You can Google that, bruised and bleeding Pharisees. That was the crazy view that they had. But what does the gospel say? Galatians 3. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? The gospel destroys cultural barriers. This is the first thing we see in this story, that Jesus had an appointment with a Samaritan woman, an appointment that wouldn't make sense to his disciples. Jesus was teaching his first disciples one of the foundational principles of the gospel, that the good news about Jesus is for everyone, even those we don't like and even those we think don't deserve it. As 21st century disciples, we must not forget this truth. I just want to tell you, as I was writing this point, as I was thinking about this point, this is something that we don't like to talk about very much. But if we're not careful, we can become just like those first century disciples and be in shock and awe that the gospel would be preached to people that aren't like us. The gospel is for people who are not like us, who are different than us. It is for everyone. And we must guard our hearts against this sense of elitism about the gospel. It is for everyone. Anyone that would call on the name of the Lord Jesus can be saved. And we should go everywhere and tell everyone. And this really hits home whenever it's people that are different than us, people that we don't like. You ever thought about that? I don't really like that person. Maybe even your enemy. What about your enemies? Do your enemies deserve the gospel? Do our enemies deserve the gospel? They do. Because the gospel is for everyone. And Jesus demonstrated that the gospel destroys cultural barriers, destroys all barriers. He wants all to come. Second thing that we see is that the gospel is living water for the thirsty. Let's look back to the text. John 4, it says, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. So Jesus starts to switch the story here. He starts not talking about physical water, but he starts saying, I can give you living water. And the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well. He drank from it. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus begins to shift the conversation to focus on what the greatest need of this woman was. What was the greatest need of this woman? She needed salvation. She needed the living water that can only come from Christ. That was her greatest need. And so, yes, Jesus was breaking cultural barriers by even having a conversation with her. But Jesus was always on mission. And he always knows what our greatest need is. And he was just using water as an object lesson to point her to the reality of her greatest need. That she didn't need. She needed, yes, she needed physical water for her physical life. But her greatest need was not the need for physical water. Her greatest need was the need for forgiveness. Her greatest need was the need for living water to satisfy her soul. This Samaritan woman is a representation of us all. 
We all need the living water of God to cleanse us, to restore us, and to satisfy our deepest needs. Because here's what I know is true. We live in a crazy, broken, flawed world. You look all around the world, you watch the news, you watch the news any, any length of time, and you will walk away feeling heavy because of the pain and the suffering and the things that we see going on all around this world. The hurt and the pain and the, 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 the shame that is caused because of sin. So we live in a world of people that are hungry and that are thirsty and, and they're looking to get their satisfaction from other sources. They're, they're trying this and they're trying that and they're going to all the different things that the world has to offer and they're not coming to the true source of satisfaction in this life and his name is Jesus Christ. They're going everywhere but to him. And this is a representation, this woman is a representation of us as humanity. That We are desperately thirsty for him. Are you desperately thirsty for him? Do you need him? Do you need him more than your next breath? Are you thirsty here this morning? He is the living water that satisfies. He gives internal satisfaction and eternal life. He comes and satisfies the deepest of our internal needs, but he also gives us eternal life, internal and eternal life. And this is what Christ came to do. Jeremiah 2 gives us a picture of who we are as humanity. This was the nation of Israel. It says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. It's what we've done. It's what we do. Jesus is the fountain of living waters and people will avoid Christ at all costs and search after so many other things. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out, they've, they've, they've dug out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Here's what I know is true. We are all tempted to run to many different sources for satisfaction. We drink deeply of things that leave us empty we drink deeply of things that leave us empty have you been there before drinking deeply of things that leave you empty i want to illustrate that for us this is what it's like this is this is this will represent living water for us this morning and this is what we do jeremiah 2 we we dig out for ourselves water from we dig out wells for ourselves that can hold no water and we drink we try to drink deeply through relationships We're drinking deeply. We're thinking that maybe that person, that relationship is going to satisfy us in a deep way. But what's like pouring water into a well with no holes can hold no water. It's what happens. It's like when we think our career, our finances, our money, the stability through finances, that's what I need. But it's like trying to find satisfaction in an empty well. It holds no water. There's no ultimate satisfaction in things apart from Christ. Relationships, money, possessions, whatever you want to name it. Anything apart from Christ is like trying to put water into a container that cannot hold water. And you drink deeply, you drink deeply, you drink deeply. And at the end, you're empty. That's life apart from Christ. That's life apart from the living water that can satisfy us. It's like a, it's like a cup with holes in it. There's, there's, there's nothing there. That is what it is like. And this is what Jesus is trying to get this woman to see. He's trying to stir a hunger in her heart, a thirst in her heart for that living water. 
Jesus is strategically pointing this woman in the direction of her greatest need. This is what God does in our life. Listen, he strategically uses the circumstances of our life to show us our great need for him. You ever experienced that in your life? Where you go through troubles, you go through difficulties, you go through pain in your life. God uses those circumstances to get us into a corner to realize that we need him more than we ever thought we did. We, we think we are so self-reliant. We think that we can do life on our own at times. We've, 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 we've all been there. I'm going to get it done. We, we live in a get-or-done society in America. We're just going to make it happen. We're going to get her done. I'm going to push through it. Sometimes you can't push through it. Have you been there in circumstances in your life? It's just, you, you, you try all you can, and you're trying to push through the pain, push through the situations you're facing. Sometimes you just can't push through it. God will use that circumstance to remind you that you need him, that you are desperate for him, for satisfaction. But when, here's what happens. Listen, here's what happens when we get to that place where we just can't push through the pain. We just can't push through it. The devil's right there. And he's saying, all right, why don't you try this out? This will help the pain. This will help you out. And God's right there saying, no. No, it's going to lead to emptiness again. And the devil, he keeps, he keeps whispering, just, just try this out. Try, try this situation out. Try this. this. This might help you. But it doesn't work. And what God is trying to do is that when we get to that place where we feel like we can't push through, it's too difficult. He's saying, I'm right here. I'm trying to show you that in your life, the only source of truth and peace and joy in this life is through me, the source of living water. You must look to me. That's what he does. He corners us. He strategically uses the circumstances of our life to show us our great need for him. He continually points us to the reality of our desperate need for him. Are you desperate for him this morning? Are you desperate for him? I'm desperate for him. I need him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. The gospel destroys cultural barriers. And secondly, the gospel is living water for the thirsty. Moving on, the gospel is a call to repentance. We haven't talked about repentance yet in the gospel conversation series. Some of you may have been thinking, you should have talked about that earlier, but I waited for this story because I knew repentance was coming. And so sometimes when you talk about grace upon grace and God, God gives us salvation for free, we don't earn it, we can't deserve it, people get a little antsy and they're like, that's too good to be true. What about repentance? Here's what I want to tell you. There is no salvation apart from repentance. The gospel is a call to repentance. Jesus begins to whet her appetite for living water. And what does he say there in John 4? Go call your husband and come here. Jesus knew she wasn't married. He's omniscient. He knows all things. What, 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 what was he doing? He was pointing to the reality of her sin. Jesus does point to the reality of our sin. Yes, it is grace upon grace, but it is not grace upon grace that gives us a license to stay in our sin. Go call your husband and come here. The woman answers him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. And so this is what Jesus is pointing to, that there is no gospel without repentance. The scriptures do not speak of a salvation without repentance. Mark 1, 14 through 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Repent 
and believe in the gospel. Repentance. It's a, repent, it's a turning from our sin. Luke 15. This is a story of those that were lost. You have the, 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 the parable of the lost coin, the lost son here. And it says here, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then you go to the first sermon ever preached. You have the book of Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts chapter 2. And the Holy Spirit descends in Acts chapter 2. And there's a spectacle that takes place there in Acts 2. 120 are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in tongues. And it says that people from all the region that had come over for the Feast of Passover, they looked at what was going on in the upper room and they said, these are some crazy people. What is going on in this upper room with these people? But what was amazing was, was that those that were speaking in an unknown tongue, it was the actual languages of those that were from the region. And what were they speaking? They were speaking the wonderful works of God. They were speaking the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so as they're speaking those things, the, the, the unbelievers from all of the area that, that were there, thousands of them that were there, Peter stood up and Peter began to preach. Peter began to preach. And this is after the sermon. Listen to what happened. Acts 2, 37 through 38. Now when they had heard this, what Peter said, the first New Testament sermon, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what shall we do and Peter said to them I just want to stop right there and that's awesome right there salvation taking place and the people are shouting down the preacher like it'd be like you right now you realize that you don't have any hope apart from Christ and you basically tell me shut up pastor Ben what must I do quit talking about it I want to get saved right now that'd be kind of what was going on right there in Acts chapter 2 what shall, brothers, what shall we do? What did Peter say? Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's repentance. The gospel is a call to repentance. So what is repentance? Repentance, is, re- repentance looks like this. You're going one way. You're moving away from God. You want nothing to do with God. You're living your life for yourself and then you stop. You see who Christ is. You acknowledge that he is the son of God. He was risen from the dead. He died for your sins. And you turn around, go the opposite direction. You repent of your sins. You turn your back on what you know is is displeasing to the Lord. That is repentance. It's as simple as that. You turn around. You go the opposite direction. That is repentance. Genuine repentance knows that the evil of sin must be completely rejected. And that the person and work of Christ must be fully embraced. Genuine repentance knows that the evil of sin must be completely rejected and that the person and work of Christ must be fully embraced. The gospel is a call to repentance, not a call to add Jesus to your life. The gospel is not a belief system you embrace while holding on to the things of this world. Do you hear me this morning? Christianity is not a belief system that says, I'm going to accept Christ, but I'm going to hold on to a little bit of these things. Because even though I know there's a lot of emptiness there, it feels good for a little while. You know, I enjoy it. Sin's pleasurable for a season. That's not, that's not true Christianity. True Christianity is a turning of your back on the things of the world, the things that we know are sin. It's, it's embracing Christ fully and rejecting sin totally. That's salvation. That's the gospel. And just as what Jesus told the Samaritan woman, he brought sin into the equation. She didn't. He, he said, go call your husband. The gospel is not a call to easy believism. Easy come, easy go. I prayed a prayer. 
got my fire insurance, I ease my conscience. That's not Christianity. That's any other religion that you want to try. Well, I'm going to try out Christianity, and I'll try out this other system of belief. I'm just going to try it out for a little while. Christianity doesn't even give us that option when you read through Scripture. Christianity is all or nothing. You're in or you're out. It's either all Christ or none of Christ. It's not halfway. You're in or you're out. That's the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that he's calling us to follow him. Come, follow me. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. The gospel is a call for the sinner to repent and believe in Christ. Jesus did not ignore the immoral behavior of the Samaritan woman, but instead pressed the issue because he knew what she needed most. And this is where I think is the hang-up for people. Because they feel like that, that, that pastors and, and Christians, all they want to talk about is sin. And they just want to point out sin. But here's, here's the reality. is That sin, the sin that we commit, is really the symptom of the greatest problem or the need that we have. We're, we're internally sick apart from Christ. So the things that we do that are sinful are the result of, of, of that being the fruit of what is implanted in our heart. And so when we talk about sin, yeah, it doesn't matter what the sin is. You can, we could go through a list of sins through Scripture and say, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin, that's sin. And we don't, we don't need to even talk specifically about all the whole list. The reality is, is that what Scripture says is sin is sin. And that when we embrace Christ, he deals with the root of the sin, which is our heart problem. And the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life once you place faith in him. And those sins that you commit, adultery, fornication, lying, stealing, covetousness, I mean, any other type of sin that you want to think of, he begins to deal with those in your life. But salvation is the point where we acknowledge that that sin separates us from a holy God. Who we are, apart from Christ, separates us from a holy God. And we must repent of that, fully embrace Christ. So we're not, as Christians, here to point out all the different sins. We're here to point out the big sin, which is the the, the fact that apart from Christ, that we are enemies of the cross. That we must be reconciled to a holy God. And God will work out the issues of our life after we're submitted to him. So Jesus did not ignore her behavior, but he pressed the issue because he knew what she needed most, which is forgiveness. Lastly, as we, as we conclude here, the last point we want to bring out here is this. The gospel produces an evangelistic call. The gospel produces an evangelistic call. So here you have this woman. Jesus is breaking the cultural barriers. The gospel destroys cultural barriers. He talks to a Samaritan woman. And then he begins to stir her heart for a thirst for living water. He began to point her to what she needed most. And then he confronts the area of sin in her life. And says that you need to repent. Go call your husband. Turn, repent. Come and embrace me. And then lastly, as, as a result of this, because of what God had done, what Christ had done in her life, it produced an evangelistic call. Let's go back to the text, John 4. It says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that he ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. And later on, if you read, you go into the store. You can go home and read it later. The disciples are so confused. They don't even know what's going on. And they look at Jesus and they said, Jesus, Jesus, uh, we, 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 we brought food. Sit down. Eat. Here's some food. And Jesus looked at him and said, I've already eaten. I have food to eat that you know not of. And they said, well, did somebody bring you some food? 
And Jesus said, no, the food that I eat that brings me satisfaction is to do the will of the Father who sent me. And then he looked at his disciples and he said, the, the, the harvest is ripe. The fields are ripe unto harvest. Pray that the Lord would send out laborers. And then so you have this woman, this Samaritan woman, who embraces Christ and says, immediately goes to, on an evangelistic call, goes back to her town and says, come, come, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And then later on in the story, it says that, that many came and many listened. And eventually... It said that the ones that came and talked to Jesus, they said, we're not just believing in you because of what the woman said. We're believing in you because of what we see. And we believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And so this woman's testimony of simply just saying, come, see a man. This evangelistic call is the natural response that happens because of the gospel when it transforms your life. Have you experienced that? You remember, think back to when you first got saved. Think back. Take a moment. When you first became born again, it was the greatest news that you'd ever heard. And what did you want to do? Where did, where did that go in our life? Where does it go? Because it, 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 it goes. How does it go? It goes because of our busyness on our jobs, our family with our kids. But think back. When we first got saved, we still had this, probably the same job, or we at least worked, and we had family, we had kids. But when we first got saved, it didn't matter. We were on our job, we were in Rouse's, we were at Walmart, wherever we went, there was a sense of this was the greatest news. Come see a man. Come see a man that told me all that ever was, accepted me as I was, and, 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 and forgave me and cleansed me of my sins and gave me living water. Come see a man. Where does the urgency for evangelism go in our life? get sucked in, get sucked in to our everyday life, to our busyness, to false, to bad priorities. We're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Bad priorities with our time. It gets sucked away. Do you remember when you first came to faith in Christ? You went and told everyone, come see a man. I want to end with this. This is a parable. Listen to this. Jesus speaking. When one of those, this is Luke 14, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please come Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. What is that picture of? It's a picture of all those who reject the gospel. Just don't have time. I just don't have time to give to Christ. So listen to this. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became very angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Who are those? Those that need help. That's me. (laughs) That's you, right? Those are the ones that know that they need help. The others, it's just excuses. I don't need God. I have to have Christ. I don't have time. I just got married. And the master said to, to the servant, go to the highways 
and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Go out to the highways and the hedges. And you know what that picture is right there? That's a picture of Gentile country. He told this parable to give them a picture of Gentile country. Go out to the unclean, the highways and the hedges, the corners, the street corners. Go out to Gentile people, the unclean, the sick, the lame. Go out, compel them to come. Just like the Samaritan woman, we too must go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come to Christ. Amen? So I just bought a pair of shoes last week. Y'all like them? Look at that, huh? Isn't that good? I was going to bring both of them on here and put them on, but they would have been awkward. So I bought these shoes, got them for $40 at Marshall's. Regular $200 pair of shoes. Can you imagine paying $200 for that? 40 bucks. Cole, they're, Cole, they're called Cole Han is the, is the brand. But there's something about this shoe that stands out, right? So when I wore it last week, I could see the eyes of all the, of all the staff. They're looking at them. I walk in the door, and, and it's, their head goes straight down. So I had two of them on. So what stands out about it? It's the brightness of the shoe. It's the brightness of, of the shoe. It's the brightness of this trim right here. And this is what I want to tell you, that this is, this is what I thought of when I thought about the end of this story. I thought about my shoes that I just bought. These are my gospel shoes. This represents the gospel. This represents what we're supposed to be like, that when we walk into the room, when we walk in somewhere, we shine the light of the gospel, and it is unavoidable. So maybe I should have brought my other shoe. I could have put it on. But here's what I want to tell you. We must put on our gospel shoes. You got to put them on. Put on your gospel shoes. Let's, let's, God, let's pray that God would revive in our hearts a desire for evangelism again. That we would put on our gospel shoes wherever we go. That we'll never take them off. We'll wear our gospel shoes. That's what Romans 10 says. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet. Because you got to go, right? You got to go. You got to be like the Samaritan woman. We have to be like the Samaritan woman. Got to put on our gospel shoes. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Your feet got to preach the good news. Your feet do the preaching, not your mouth. Interesting thought there. Because you got to go. Amen. Would you stand your feet with me? I just want to pray for us. I want to pray that the Lord would touch our hearts and that we would return to a passion. We return to a passion for evangelism. We have that go-tell wall that's in the, as you go this way towards Hebrews Cafe. If you, if you put on your gospel shoes this week coming up, next week just come. Anybody you talk to, what, you don't even have to get their name. If you just, whatever it is, put their nickname down, put their name down. Write that on one of those ping pong balls. Put it in there and we will slowly see the amount of people that God is using us to impact. That's what that's all about. That's what that go-tell wall is all about. So we can visually see that we, as a body of believers, are putting on our gospel shoes, that we are evangelizing everywhere we go. Lord, I thank you for your church. Thank you for your people. God, I thank you, God, that you have called us to come and follow you. I thank you that you are the source. You're the fountain of living waters. And you tell us in your word, come to me, all those who are thirsty. Come, come and, and buy wine and milk without cost. Salvation is free and you are the source of 
salvation and of satisfaction. I pray, Lord, that those that don't know you today, Lord, that they, that they would turn to you, that they would not wait another moment, they would turn to you. And God, I thank you for all of us as believers here this morning. I pray that we would have a resurgence of passion in our heart to walk out these doors and to evangelize, to go on our job wherever we go and for us to spread the good news. Because that is our calling. I thank you for this message. Pray that it touches our hearts and does the work that only you can do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. You are dismissed.